Welcome to Blank Canvas, the podcast that explores the histories, mysteries, and eccentricities of art. I am your host, Bridget Ginter. The last few episodes we concentrated on the artist Vincent van Gogh. Check it out if you haven't gotten a chance to delve into the inner workings and mysteries of arguably the most famous artists of the modern era. This week, we are going to take a turn, focusing on a single painting, probably the most recognizable painting the world has ever seen. This painting started its young life in Italy, slowly making its way to France. In France, it has seen revolution as well as survived war, including World War I and II, where it went into hiding to escape the Nazis. It has also survived being kidnapped in the early 20th century, where it was missing for two years, only to miraculously find its way home. This painting has inspired songs, feature films, and countless scholarly articles and books. You may already know who I am talking about, but for those of you that are still guessing, I am talking about Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa. This is the story behind the painting, because before there was any work of art, there was a blank canvas. If any of you get the pleasure, or perhaps have already gotten the pleasure of seeing Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa, you probably will be shocked or have been shocked by its size. She is tiny at only 30 inches high by 21 inches wide. I remember when I went to see it, I could barely make her out as it is so small and there are always a crowd of tourists hovering around her, taking selfies. How is it that such a tiny painting can generate such a large turnout? When we look at the Mona Lisa, we see her remarkable gaze almost as if she is looking directly at us. And we see her infamous half-smile. Her arms are delicately crossed, but with conviction. She looks like she knows something that we don't. There is an immense amount of mystery that surrounds this tiny painting. Multiple stories abound, and many of these stories are conflicting. Most people don't know that the Mona Lisa in the Louvre is not the only version of the Mona Lisa. Most likely, Leonardo created two Mona Lisas, although the true identity of the second painting is highly debated. Many people also don't know that although we can assume who this portrait is a painting of, there are also a slew of questions as to who the sitter really is or was. Some have even suggested that the Mona Lisa could be da Vinci's lover. Another interesting thing about the Mona Lisa is that although the work started as a commissioned portrait, the patrons that commissioned the work never received it, and Leonardo was never paid for it. The Mona Lisa was evidently a work of personal significance to da Vinci, as he kept it with him until late in his life. There is also the mystery of a hidden painting underneath the Mona Lisa, which we will talk about in this episode. Leonardo was one mysterious guy, so it is only fitting that his most famous painting is shrouded in secrets as well. 
In this episode, we will delve deeper into the mysteries and scandals of this remarkable work of art. Leonardo da Vinci is perhaps one of the most well-known artists of the Renaissance. The Renaissance was a time of rebirth of classical thoughts and values, and a reawakening from the sleep and stagnation of the Middle Ages. Leonardo belongs to the period known as the High Renaissance, along with other great artists such as Michelangelo and Raphael. High Renaissance artists are known for their interest in the natural world, heightened realism, and use of compositional order. This episode is going to have a different feel than our last episode on Vincent van Gogh. With Vincent, we know an extraordinary amount about the inner workings of his mind because he wrote so many intimate letters to the people he loved. This can leave you feeling as if you really know who he was as a person and as an artist. Vincent's artistic works were his emotions and vice versa. With da Vinci, we don't have that luxury. Although da Vinci left behind many drawings and letters, Virtually none of it was of a personal or intimate nature. We will see in this episode just how many mysterious aspects there are, not only to the Mona Lisa, but also to da Vinci himself. As historians, we are just left with a lot of questions. An interesting fact about da Vinci is that he really doesn't have that many artworks that survive, or that he even created. Most historians can only agree upon 15 works of art that can be attributed to da Vinci. Quite a few of these works are left unfinished. This is perhaps one of the reasons why the Mona Lisa is such an important work, as it is one of da Vinci's very rare finished works of art. Leonardo was the ultimate Renaissance man, as he was not only an artist, he was an inventor, architect, scientist, mathematician, engineer, as well as a pioneer in the fields of anatomy, astronomy, botany, paleontology, and cartography. He was obviously one busy guy. For some reason, whenever I think of da Vinci, I think of an old man with a beard. This is probably due to the fact that some of the only portraits we have of the artist are of an old man with a beard. If you Wikipedia da Vinci, one of the first things that come up to describe the artist is the term polymath. Polymath meaning someone that has a great deal of knowledge over a great many subjects. Basically, a master at a bunch of different things. To me, da Vinci kind of seems like a know-it-all. I actually don't think I would have liked him much if I met him back in the day. He kind of seems like someone that would be constantly mansplaining things. I will give him due credit that he was a very intelligent man with a great deal of curiosity. I respect that. However, what makes da Vinci interesting to me are the things we don't know about him, not the things we do know, aka his mastery of basically every subject during the Renaissance. A lot of the things we don't know about him involve the inner workings of his mind and his personal life. For one thing, Leonardo da Vinci never married, which was unusual in an era where the Catholic Church was basically the only option in Italy and their morals and values ruled society at large. 
If you weren't married, more often than not, you were a priest, a monk, or in some way related to the Catholic Church. This brings us to an important issue to address, Da Vinci and women. The Mona Lisa is, or appears to be, a woman. In his article about the Mona Lisa, the renowned Da Vinci scholar Kenneth Clark stated, Leonardo had no physical attachment to women, but as part of the creative process, they obsessed him. They horrified him, but so did nature. These are strong words indeed to suggest that da Vinci had some kind of visceral reaction to the opposite sex. Most likely, da Vinci was a homosexual. Some historians strongly believe that he was disgusted by sex and celibate his entire life, while others are convinced he was indeed gay. We will come back to this in a bit. When we talk about the Renaissance and the power of the Catholic Church, we have to emphasize the fact that it was the Church that was the main source of money behind the arts. If a major work of art was created, the Catholic Church was behind it most of the time. If a work wasn't commissioned by a member of the Church, then a work of art would be commissioned by a wealthy member of society that had enough extra fund money to commission a work of art. Usually, this would be a portrait. Leonardo da Vinci did not have the most stable upbringing. He was born out of wedlock in 1452 to a legal notary and a local peasant girl in the small town of Vinci in Italy. Therefore, Leonardo da Vinci refers to his place of birth. He was Leo from Vinci. Fast forward to the mid-1460s, Leonardo's family moved to the city of Florence, Italy, where Leo became a studio assistant in the workshop of the lead Florentine painter, Ferrocchio. This was Leo's big break. Leo graduated to apprentice when he was 17 and trained for an additional seven years with Ferrocchio. Leonardo not only had talent, he was at the right place at the right time. It is during this time that Leonardo had his first brush with scandal. In 1476, he was accused of sodomy while he was still working under Verrocchio. An anonymous complaint was placed in a letterbox of the Florentine town hall. The accusation was directed at da Vinci as well as a few other Florentine men. At this time in history, homosexuality, although common, was also a criminal offense. The slang word for homosexual in German was actually Florenzer, meaning someone from Florence. That just shows how common this practice was amongst young Florentine gentlemen. Being convicted of sodomy held the punishment of death, although this punishment was rarely enforced. This is mainly because the accusation was extremely difficult to prove in court. As the accusation against da Vinci was an anonymous complaint, the charges were eventually dropped. However, this situation made a profound impact on the young da Vinci. 
While some historians have asserted that this incident made da Vinci decidedly celibate for the rest of his existence, the larger consensus is that da Vinci remained engaged in his homosexuality, but became even more secretive and reserved. He had to be careful, but for all intents and purposes, still engaged in relationships with men. We will discuss da Vinci's longtime love interest later in this episode. Aside from the Mona Lisa's deceptively tiny size, some viewers are also confused by her appearance. She is a woman who appears to be in her mid-twenties, possibly early thirties. Her age is quite hard to pin down from the way she looks. She has dark hair that is a bit curly and dark brown eyes. Her gaze and her smile is what is remarkable about her, not necessarily her looks. Some are confused, even disappointed. You may even ask, was this the Renaissance ideal of beauty? The Mona Lisa is not a famous painting because of her beauty. If you want to look at a Renaissance painting that represents the ideal of beauty for women, I would first look at Botticelli's Birth of Venus. It is a Renaissance representation of Venus, goddess of love. In that painting, Venus is captured nude, with long, flowing, strawberry blonde hair, voluptuous body, delicate features, and pale, unblemished skin. She is a very different woman than the Mona Lisa. One reason da Vinci gets such acclaim as an artist was his association with innovative techniques that were quite remarkable, even when compared to other Renaissance artists. Leonardo's work is unique for his techniques for laying on paint, as well as his detailed knowledge of anatomy and natural light. He also had a particular interest in the way humans register emotion in expression and in gesture. When we look at the Mona Lisa, we really see this. The way she engages with the viewer is almost photographic. Leonardo is also known for his innovative use of a particular artistic technique called sfumato. The word sfumato comes from the Italian word for smoke. Translated into English, it means soft, vague, or blurred. The technique is a fine shading meant to produce a soft transition between colors. Da Vinci described the technique as blending colors without the use of lines or borders in the matter of smoke. He is also known for his use of chiaroscuro, the contrast between light and dark. All of these techniques and qualities come together in his most famous painted works that survive. These include the Mona Lisa, the Last Supper, and the Virgin of the Rocks. Before we delve into more depth about the Mona Lisa, let's touch on the Virgin of the Rocks, which, like the Mona Lisa, is full of mystery and intrigue. It also has a few parallels with the Mona Lisa that we will talk about. Part of what makes the Virgin of the Rocks remarkable is that, similar to the Mona Lisa, there is more than one version of this painting. However, unlike the Mona Lisa, the Virgin of the Rocks is a very large painting, 
about four feet wide and six and a half feet tall. It is a very, very rare example of a large-scale work of Leonardo's that has actually survived. Similar to the Mona Lisa, the Virgin of the Rocks also has a complicated history. The painting was originally commissioned as part of a large ensemble of paintings by the Confraternity of the Immaculate Conception. This was a period in Leonardo's career when he was working under the patronage of the Sfarsas, a wealthy family in Milan. The confraternity was a group that was committed to the image of Mary as Holy Mother, free from sin and eternally virginal. Basically, when I say immaculate conception, it is what it sounds like. Mary was conceived immaculately, aka without sexual intercourse. It appears as if the confraternity did not want to pay the amount of money that Leonardo wanted. He obviously knew his worth. So Leo ended up selling the painting to someone else. Most likely, this is the first version. The one that, like the Mona Lisa, is also in the Louvre in Paris. In the mid-1490s, Leonardo started a second version of the Virgin of the Rocks, most likely to replace this first one that never ended up where it was supposed to. It most likely wasn't finished until around 1506, and Leonardo didn't get final payment for the painting until 1508, and that was after winning a court case to receive payment. So it took him two decades to finish one work of art, three if you count that there were two versions. If there's one thing that's true for Leonardo's work ethic, it seems to be no one was going to lowball him with price, and he took his time and was in no hurry to finish anything in any kind of timely manner. If you ask me three decades to complete one work, is quite excessive, especially when we compare it to last week's topic, Vincent van Gogh, who painted late in his career an average of one painting per day. Let's talk in a little more depth about the subject of the Virgin of the Rocks. At this time in the Renaissance, the typical way an artist would depict the Virgin Mary would be on a throne, shown as Queen of the Heavens, surrounded by angels. Because, of course, Leonardo had to do things the non-traditional way, he represents Mary in an entirely new setting. In the Virgin of the Rocks, Mary is seated on the earth. The natural world is now her throne. The composition of both versions is a pyramid or triangular shape, with Mary at the top. Mary embraces John the Baptist with her right arm, who kneels in prayer, facing the Christ child. The baby Christ sits with his legs crossed, looking towards baby John the Baptist, giving him a sign of blessing. What always strikes me about the Christ baby in this painting is the fact that he looks to be a cross between a chubby baby and a baby with quads and triceps. It's very weird. Christ looks like a baby that works out. It is both hyper-realistic and otherworldly. There's also an angel sitting on the ground to the right of the Christ child. You almost wouldn't know it's an angel, as its wings are barely visible. The 
The Virgin of the Rocks gets its name from the setting in which Leo places the holy figures. The landscape in which they are all seated is decidedly mysterious. A rocky grotto-like space, it looks almost like a magical landscape from a fantasy film. Aggressive rock formations surround the Holy Ones, and a watery, misty pond lingers in the background. However fantastical, it is also a realistic glorification of the natural world. Both versions of the Virgin of the Rocks demonstrate this aspect of Leonardo's paintings, this profound interest in rendering the natural world. I remember one of my professors in college explaining that this work is a compilation of Leonardo's studies on nature, a detailed rendition of rocks, plants, and landscapes. These versions represent Leonardo's reverence for nature and all that it is capable of. But remember, although it is based on detailed studies of reality, it is at the same time fully imaginative. The two different versions are very similar, but there are slight differences. See if you can note some of the differences and similarities on the blank canvas Instagram. Everyone seems to ask which one is better, but I maintain they are just different. Everything doesn't necessarily need to be a competition. Try and notice which one you gravitate to most and why. Now that we have laid some background out for Da Vinci, the artist, let's circle back to his most famous work of art, the Mona Lisa. We'll start with the most common story of who is the Mona Lisa. This is the story most validated by historians. The Mona Lisa is commonly thought to be an Italian noblewoman, Lisa del Giocondo. Leonardo da Vinci was commissioned by her husband to paint her in 1503, most likely to celebrate and commemorate the birth of their first child. I mean, back in the day, it's not like her husband could buy her a new car or anything. A portrait at this time was the ultimate gift. Not much is known about Lisa. What we do know is that she was born to an upper-middle-class Florentine family and married as a young teen to Francesco Giocondo. Francesco was decidedly older than herself. Lisa's husband also was a somewhat successful cloth and silk merchant. Over the many years, Lisa became a mother to five of Francesco's children and seemingly lived an average Renaissance middle-class existence. Mona is an Italian contraction for Madonna or My Lady. Therefore, Mona Lisa is kind of like saying the portrait is called Lady Lisa. The first painting of Lady Lisa was completed most likely around 1506. This is the most widely accepted theory. However, there are loopholes. One such loophole is the fact that there are different versions of the Mona Lisa, as mentioned in the beginning of this episode. That's right, for those of you in question, the one in the Louvre is not the only painting. 
Of course, the Louvre does have special interest in claiming that it is the only true painting of this young woman that da Vinci painted. There is another version, very similar yet different, that hangs in the Prado Museum in Madrid. This version is much more vibrant in color. Her face is a tad bit different as well. The Prado Museum Mona Lisa has thin Joan Crawford eyebrows. Her nose is also a bit more pronounced. However, the two are similar enough that they could be the same woman, just a different artist. Consensus is that most likely the painter of the Prado Museum painting is da Vinci's assistant, Salai. Although some would say da Vinci had at least one hand in this version as well. The original Louvre painting that we know as the Mona Lisa today was kept by da Vinci until late in his life, possibly reworking it and revising it until as late as 1518. It is at this time that it made its way to the court of the French king Francis I. At the French court, it bounced around to a few different royal palaces until it finally made its way to the Louvre, where it can be seen today. In 2004, a French scientist, Pascal Cotte, was given access to the painting. It is at this time that reflective light technology revealed a different painting of a different woman underneath the original Mona Lisa. This woman looks completely and entirely different than the woman we think of as the Mona Lisa today. I will include a picture on the blank canvas Instagram. The woman it revealed is similar to a sketch of the Mona Lisa done by Renaissance artist Raphael in 1504. Raphael had come to Florence in 1504, staying until about 1508. He was a great admirer of the older da Vinci's work and da Vinci's techniques. Both the sketch done by Raphael and the underpainting revealed by the Louvre show a woman with more delicate features, crossed hands, and a Renaissance headband of sorts around her head. Is this woman, the woman underneath the Mona Lisa, the real face of Lisa Gioconda? Perhaps this woman underneath was the real face of Lisa Gioconda, and da Vinci painted over her years later when he did not get final payment from Lisa's husband. That is possible. Remember, this is a painting that da Vinci held on to until his old age, most likely working on it until late in his career. It is strange to me that Leonardo would hang on to a painting of a woman he didn't really know or have any particularly deep relationship to. The painting had to have had some kind of larger personal meaning to him. The next question we come to is, if the Mona Lisa isn't necessarily Lisa Gioconda, then who could she be? There is a theory that the Mona Lisa may not even be a woman, but a man. Some have suggested that the Mona Lisa could in fact be da Vinci's longtime assistant, 
and most likely lover, Salai. Salai was Gian Giacomo Caprotti da Oreno. Salai is a nickname that he went by, which means little devil or little unclean one. Great nickname. Salai was the name given by Leonardo due to his so-called terrible temperament. Apparently, Salai would steal, lie, drink too much, and break things that didn't belong to him. I guess the nickname fit, as it sounds like Salai was quite a handful. Da Vinci kept Salai with him throughout his life from 1490 on. For all intents and purposes, Salai was da Vinci's longtime and lifetime companion. If times were different, we probably would know many more details about the true nature of their undoubtedly deep relationship. I am not sure why the obviously meticulous, perfectionist da Vinci was so enamored with Salai, the little dirty one. I think Salai would have driven me insane after a few days having him as my assistant, but to each his own. I guess da Vinci needed some spice in his otherwise meticulous life. They say opposites attract, so I'll leave it at that. Salai and da Vinci most likely had a sexual relationship. Salai was both a student and assistant to the older and established da Vinci. As touched on previously, homosexual relationships were somewhat socially normal in the Renaissance to an extent. Renaissance literally means rebirth, meaning the rebirth of classical values, the values of ancient Greece and Rome. Any of you antiquities nerds out there know that in ancient Greece and Rome, older men having relationships with younger boys was part of the culture. It was part of the patriarchy. This is somewhat the model that da Vinci followed. Speaking of models, one of Salai's tasks was modeling for da Vinci. And Salai was probably used as the model for da Vinci's painting of John the Baptist. Salai was an attractive young man with curly hair and reportedly graceful moves. Da Vinci's John the Baptist is probably the last painting he completed, and da Vinci died in 1519. At this time, da Vinci already had another toy boy assistant named Francesco Melzi. What is interesting is that although much is unclear, we do know that a version of the Mona Lisa was in Salai's possession at the time of da Vinci's death. Most likely, da Vinci intended Salai to have this painting. It is interesting that the bulk of the estate was willed to the new boyfriend, Francesco. Did Salai and da Vinci have some kind of falling out late in his life, shortly before his death, but da Vinci still wanted him to have this painting? We will never know, but this scenario is a definite possibility. Why would da Vinci want Salai to have a version of the Mona Lisa? If you look at the paintings and drawings of Salai, or look at da Vinci's John the Baptist next to the Mona Lisa, there are remarkable similarities. 
the Mona Lisa, after all, has a bit of a masculine air about her. And the John the Baptist is a young, delicate man with smooth features and bouncing curls. Both have strong, long, straight, and symmetrical noses. Both have somewhat droopy brow bones. Both have strong yet soft jaws and a soft, wide forehead. They also both have a somewhat mischievous look about them, like they know something that we don't. It is intriguing that the letters which form Mona Lisa can be arranged to form Mon Salai, meaning my Salai. Perhaps da Vinci willed the Mona Lisa to Salai because it was in fact a tribute to their relationship. One other factor to consider is that most historians find the style of the Mona Lisa in the Louvre congruent with da Vinci's later style, despite the fact that the painting was commissioned in 1503. Regardless of if you think the Mona Lisa is in fact Salai, these coincidences are definitely weird. Da Vinci was anything if not intentional, so it seems very unlikely he would do anything without thinking it through. Remember, he was the ultimate mansplainer. Is the Mona Lisa the ultimate gender bender of the Renaissance? Perhaps the Mona Lisa is a giant joke on all of us. You may be very confused by all this, and that is because it is very confusing. Most historians do agree that there has to be at least two Mona Lisas but few can agree what two are the real ones. At the beginning of the episode, we mentioned the version attributed to Salai, the one that is currently in the Prado Museum in Madrid. There is another version, known as the Isleworth Mona Lisa, which is currently in a private collection in Switzerland. This version is yet again a different woman, a woman much younger than the Louvre Mona Lisa. She sits with her hands crossed and her eyes wide. The Isleworth version has a much less elaborate background than the original Mona Lisa and sits between two classical columns. Researchers have indicated that the painting was likely brought to England from Italy in the 1780s, most likely by an English nobleman. At that point, the painting was documented as a Renaissance painting attributed to Leonardo, entitled La Jaconde. La Jaconde is the French title of the Mona Lisa, translated as the jovial or happy one. In 1913, when English connoisseur and art collector Hugh Blaker acquired the painting, it got its unofficial name of the Isleworth Mona Lisa. This was because Blaker's studio was located in Isleworth, an area of West London. In a letter he wrote to his sister, Jane, Hugh Blaker stated that he thought the work to indeed be by Leonardo, and therefore saw potential for financial gain. 
It is unfortunate that the lack of historical, stylistic, or scientific evidence required for a definitive attribution has really led to a lot of disputes about the painting's authorship and its origins. Some historians have heated debates regarding this version and whether it is a copy or an earlier version of the Mona Lisa in the Louvre. The fame of the Mona Lisa grew considerably in the 20th century when, on August 21st, 1911, it was stolen from the Louvre. The mystery of who stole the Mona Lisa captured international headlines. At one point, American millionaire and art lover J.P. Morgan was suspected of commissioning the theft. Pablo Picasso was also considered a suspect and was questioned. The thieves, it turned out, were three Italian nationalists, the ringleader actually being a handyman who was employed by the Louvre. The handyman had hopes of selling the work for a great deal of money, but due to all the press surrounding its disappearance, he decided to hold on to the painting until things died down. He kept the painting in his apartment. Two years later, the handyman attempted to sell the Mona Lisa to an Italian art dealer. The work obviously still raised red flags, and the handyman was caught and sentenced to eight months in jail. This story was big for a moment, but soon lost steam when World War I broke out across Europe. If anything, the Mona Lisa is a survivor. She is a survivor that is symbolic of fame and fortune. There's a reason Beyonce has a music video that starts where she and Jay-Z stand right next to the Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa has become an icon in her own right. That brings us back to the ultimate question of who is the Mona Lisa and which one is a portrait of our girl, Lisa Gioconda? Is it the painting in the Louvre? Is it the painting underneath the painting in the Louvre? Is it the painting in the Prado? Is it the Isleworth Mona Lisa? Sadly, we will never know for sure. Lisa died in the mid-1550s, about three decades after da Vinci, who died at the age of 67. Although her husband commissioned this work in the early 1500s to memorialize his young bride, this painting was never delivered to the Giocondas, and, as mentioned, Leonardo was never paid for the work. To this day, there are many more questions than answers surrounding the Mona Lisa. My own personal opinion is that the Mona Lisa may not be specifically any one person. By this I mean I believe the Mona Lisa in the Louvre is a version of woman based on Leonardo's imagination, not a portrait of a specific lady. I believe she is a meditation on woman, especially given the fact da Vinci undoubtedly had a complex relationship with the opposite sex. According to Kenneth Clark, woman represented all that was alien to da Vinci, yet at the same time was infused with magical powers. It is this that the Mona Lisa represents, an all-knowing woman, 
cemented in history, representing this balance between masculinity and femininity within one gender. I would say she remains relevant to this day because she holds so many secrets that we will never know. Despite these secrets, she gazes at us directly. After over 500 years of existence, her lips are sealed. All of the works referred to in this episode are in the show notes. You can also see more of the artworks by following us on Instagram at blank underscore canvas underscore podcast, or you can find us on our website, blankcanvaspodcast.com. New episodes will be released on Wednesdays. We are looking forward to your feedback, so if there are any artists in particular that you're wanting to hear more about, feel free to reach out to us on our website or Instagram. Until next time, thank you for listening to Blank Canvas.